If somebody actually claimed to be God, C.S. Lewis says you got about the mentality of a poached egg, unless that claim is true. This is Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zuckerin. I'm Kevin Harris. Pat, the uniqueness of Christ is what we're talking about here. Were his claims to being God true? Yes, Kevin. Jesus Christ made some very unique claims. He claimed to be the divine Son of God. And the question is, did he confirm those claims? You know, those claims are unique. Muhammad did not make those kinds of claims. He claimed to be the prophet of Allah. Buddha never claimed to be divine, but Jesus Christ was unique in that he claimed to be the divine Son of God. And what we're going to study, Kevin, is that Jesus Christ confirmed his claims through his miraculous, sinless life, death, and resurrection. As we get started today, I want to remind you that we have a free CD for you. It's Pat Zuckerman's message on The Da Vinci Code. There's no obligation. It's yours for the asking. Just go to evidenceandanswers.com and click on The Da Vinci Code. We'll send you free, as our gift, Pat's message before a live audience dealing with this novel and movie that has so distorted the message and person of Jesus Christ and negatively influenced multiple millions. Pat breaks the code with accuracy and careful research. Again, this CD is yours, free, no obligation. Just go to evidenceandanswers.com for more info. Christianity is under fire in today's culture more than ever. Postmodern people are skeptical about almost everything, with millions even denying that there's any such thing as truth. Jesus' name is more often used as a swear word than as the name above all names. Perhaps you yourself have questions about the person of Jesus Christ. Was he just another religious leader or something more? We have some compelling information for you today, and we invite you to use your mind as we examine the evidence. If you are a follower of Christ, that means you are an ambassador for Christ, and our prayer is to equip you to be a more effective representative of His cause. The New Testament uses a Greek word to describe what a good ambassador does. The word is apologia, from which we get the term apologetics. It has nothing to do with saying you're sorry. The word means to give a defense are reasons for why you believe what you do. Pat Zuckerman is an expert in this area, and today he'll support the radical claims of Jesus Christ with historical evidence. And you'll learn to answer various objections often presented against those claims. Did Jesus really claim to be God? Did Jesus manipulate the prophecies written about the Messiah so it only looks like he fulfilled them? Did those who knew and wrote about Jesus tell the truth about him? Now, while you're listening, we invite you to check out evidenceandanswers.com and learn more about Pat Zuckerman. Go online, check out evidenceandanswers.com. Pat, those extraordinary claims of Jesus requires us to make a decision about him. Right. We've got to deal with the claims of Christ. I mean, he claimed to be the divine son of God, and that's clear from the scriptures. For example, in John chapter 8, the Jews come up to Jesus and say, you know, who gives you this kind of authority? Are you greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And the Jews responded, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham, you know, who lived 2000 years ago. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth before Abraham was born, I am. And he's quoting the book of Exodus there, claiming to be the divine son of God. And they understood his claim because it says they picked up stones to stone him. Now, there's only four reasons in the Jewish law you can stone someone. Rape, which Jesus wasn't guilty of. Necromancy or conjuring the dead, which he wasn't doing. 
being a rebellious son. No, he was 30 years old, uh, not under the authority of his parents, or blasphemy. And that's why they were stoning him. They understood the claim that he was making. And in John chapter 10, Jesus once again is under threat of being stoned. And Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. Which of these do you stone me for? And the Jews replied, we're not stoning you for any of these, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Wow. And so they understood his claim, and Jesus didn't back down from his claims. And so we've got to deal with those claims. And as you stated, Kevin, you know, the C.S. Lewis, one of the great thinkers uh, of the modern era, said this about Christ's claims. I mean, anyone who just gives a brief reading of the Gospels would realize that Christ made some unique claims. And, and this is what C.S. Lewis says. Any man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or the devil from hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. What are the alternatives? Well, either he is the divine son of God or here are four other options that have been proposed that really... Christ is a man of legend. He's just a myth. He's a liar. He lied about who he was and deceived everyone. Or he really thought he was the divine son of God and, and he was a lunatic. Or he really was indeed who he said he was. Right. He is Lord. Uh, he is the divine son of God. Well, let's take a look at the liar uh, conclusion first. Is it possible that Jesus lied about who he was? That's a highly unlikely conclusion. I mean, scholars are in agreement both opponents and Christians, that Jesus was a great moral teacher. However, that would be an impossible statement to make if what he was saying about the very person who he was was false and he knew it. And he was asking millions of people, men, women, and children, to give their life, surrender their life to following him, knowing it meant that pledging an allegiance to him would lead to their death. What kind of moral man would that be mm. asking people to die for him for what he knew to be a lie? Yeah, it's just unlike the high moral character of Jesus that uh, we have recorded. Right. That's, so that's why the liar conclusion is not a very likely conclusion. Well, what about the lunatic claim that uh, he thought he was the son of God, thought he was divine, but in fact he was not. He had problems mentally. Right. That would be a more likely conclusion. I mean, if he thought he was the son of God and he was really sincere about it, but he wasn't, uh, you would think he was a lunatic. I mean, a man who claimed to be the creator and sustainer of the universe, a man who claimed to have spoken and fellowship with Abraham 2000 years earlier. I mean, uh, you would conclude that man would be a lunatic. You know, if I walked into uh, a church and I said, hey, I'm I'm the divine son of God. I created the world. I created each one of you. And as you sing today, I'll stand here and receive your worship. And you may bow and pray to me. You know, would they look at me and say, man, Pat, what a great moral teacher. I don't think so. I think they'd uh, lock me up and uh, stick me in an institution here. Well, then again, we find in, in Jesus uh, not anything indicating uh, schizophrenia or, uh, or mental problems. We find a very clear thinker in the great moral paradigm of all time. Right. We find a man teaching with profound insight into God's law and someone who really understood human nature and the problem of sin and the problem of evil and how to have a relationship with God. Some of the biggest 
questions of the time regarding God and eternal life, he answered very quickly and with such authority, it says, that the people were amazed at the quickness and authority in which he answered. Uh, some great examples are found in Matthew uh, 22 when someone asks him, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers them very quickly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, Jesus quickly summarizes the entire law. He answers this uh, debated question. And in times of stress and tremendous duress, here's a man who does not lose his poise or his character. There's really no evidence of him being a lunatic anywhere throughout the Gospels. Our, we had another L, didn't we? I mean, liar, lunatic, legend. Right. Uh, the legend is, you can pretty much rule that one out. There's just too much historical evidence to show that this man existed. Uh, as we showed last week, we've got the four Gospels and all the historical evidence that surrounds their accuracy. And we also have about a dozen non-Christian sources that acknowledge his existence. And so the legend account is one we're very sure we can throw out the door immediately. Did Jesus confirm his claims to be the divine son of God? That's what the skeptic would ask. He claimed it. That's the most plausible alternative. Now, what did he do to back it up? Jesus Christ alone among anyone throughout the world confirmed his claim to be the divine son of God through his miraculous, sinless life, death, and resurrection. I mean, Jesus alone lived the sinless life. Even in the face of his enemies, in John chapter 8, John chapter 10, when the Jews want to stone him, he asked them, for what sin do you wish to stone me for? And they can't mention one. They just say, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They can't really pinpoint a sin on him. And some of his closest associates, you know, Peter writes in First Peter chapter 2, verse 22, God made him who had no sin to be sin on our behalf that we, we may become the righteousness of God. John and others write that Jesus Christ, who taught everyone to confess their sin and seek forgiveness and repent and turn from their sin. Jesus, who taught everyone that he himself, Christ, did not have any need to confess any sin. And these men who stayed with Christ and lived with Christ for three years uh, affirm that he was sinless. And you know what's unique in uh, comparing Christ to any other religious leader? No other religious leader can make that claim. What's interesting, uh, as I was reading the Quran, throughout the Quran several times, Muhammad is asked to uh, confess his sin and repent of his sin. Uh, and in the Quran, uh, it states that Christ was born of a virgin and Christ was sinless. Hey, I wanted to chase a rabbit, Pat. A lot of people bring up at this point that Jesus didn't claim to be good. In fact, he asked the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? Only God is good. You ever thought about that passage? Yes. You know, in fact, I was asked that question a few weeks ago. You know, well, what Christ was doing there was revealing to that man uh, and wanting that man to learn who he really was. He was saying, why do you call me good? Uh, only God is good. In other words, he was saying to that man, do you realize what you're saying? Do you know who I am by calling me good? You're equating me to the only one who is good, God. Yeah, that's that's what I see too. He says, do you understand what you mean? Only God is good. You're calling me good. 
Do you understand the the implications of that? Then Jesus answered his question with moral authority. Yeah, that's right. After that. Yeah, and, and, you know, Christ claimed the authority to forgive sins, something only God can do. You know, Christ claimed to have authority over the law. You know, what's interesting is in Mark 13, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will endure forever. Well, you know what Psalm 119, 89 says? It says, the law of the Lord is eternal. Only God's word lasts forever. And Christ says, hey, it's my teaching, my words are going to last forever. So in numerous ways, Christ was claiming to be the divine son of God. Pat, as we look at this very extraordinary person, Jesus Christ, obviously skeptics are going to ask questions. And one of the ones that they ask quite commonly is, well, all those miracles that Jesus allegedly performed, how do we know the church didn't embellish those or created them, the early church? Right. You know, Christ confirmed his claim to be the divine son of God. And one of the best proofs that he gave was the miracles that he performed and the miracles that he performed. He performed them over every realm of creation, over the angelic and the demonic, over the created order, over sickness, over death, over every realm of creation. He showed mastery and authority. Skeptics, and you and I hear this all the time. In fact, uh, in the novel, The Da Vinci Code states that they were embellished centuries later by the church that sought to make him, you know, remake him as the divine son of God. How do we know that the miracle accounts aren't legendary? Well, Dr. A.N. Sherwin White, one of the best historians of modern times, did a detailed study in his work. And he showed that legends often develop in distant lands and often develop three to four generations after a person's death. That way, all the eyewitnesses who can corroborate these accounts, I mean, they're, they're gone, and they cannot verify whether these events occurred. However, that's not what you have in the Gospels. The Gospels are recorded and circulated, not in distant lands, but the preaching of the Gospel begins in Jerusalem. Look at Acts chapter 2. That's where the preaching begins, in the face of the eyewitnesses, most of whom were hostile and were looking for ways to discredit the apostles' preaching and teaching. And Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Peter is preaching here and he is... He's preaching about the miracles of Christ here and saying, look, you guys are eyewitnesses of this. He's appealing to them as eyewitnesses. He says, you guys can verify these things that occurred, that Christ did these miraculous signs and wonders. He's appealing to the eyewitnesses there in Jerusalem in the face of a hostile audience there. And so the preaching of the miracles of Christ, the circulation of the Gospels, happens within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses who could verify these accounts. And even the hostile witnesses could not discredit the preaching of the Gospels. They did not challenge the account given by Peter or the other apostles and the Gospels about the life of Christ. Exaggerations and legends occur two to three generations later. When the preaching of Christ begins, not even one generation has gone by. And so that's how we know that the miracles of Christ aren't legendary, but they indeed happened. 
When it comes to prophecy, would it be possible that Jesus manipulated the circumstances to to make himself appear to be the Messiah? The Jews were aware of the Messianic prophecies, and Jesus, of course, uh, was as well. What about that? Yeah, that's an allegation we hear all the time. You know, and another unique thing about Christ is the miraculous testimony of prophecy. I mean, there are over a hundred prophecies regarding the life of Christ that he fulfilled J. Barton Payne, in his book, Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, documents the Messianic prophecies of Christ very well. And no other man in history has come close to fulfilling prophecy as Christ has. And many of these are detailed prophecies, and could he have manipulated them? Well, some of these he just could not have. For example, Genesis chapter 12 says the Messiah would be born Jewish. Well, it's pretty hard to manipulate that one. Not only would he be born Jewish, 2 Samuel 7, he'd be born a descendant of King David. And that's a hard one to manipulate. Not only that, Micah 5, 2, he would be born in the city of Bethlehem. Well, that's another hard one to manipulate. Yeah. Yeah. Going to nudge your mother from the womb and say, yeah. here's the place? Uh-huh. He'd be known and hated by the entire country, Isaiah 49. Not many, many people try to be known by the entire country. Very few ever get to be known by the entire country. Christ did. Dying with his hands and feet pierced, Psalm 22. The date of his death is predicted in Daniel chapter 9. Crucified with thieves and buried in a rich man's tomb, Isaiah 53. That's another hard one to manipulate. So you got too many prophecies there that he just would not be able to manipulate. And if he could, if he actually did that, manipulated all these events and all these hundreds of people to make this happen, well then he would be the divine son of God, wouldn't he? (laughs) I hadn't thought about that. (laughs) That's a good point. Well, Pat, I can just hear the skeptics saying, well, those prophecies were written after the time of Christ. How do we know the prophecies were written before Christ was here on earth? Yeah, that was a challenge that uh, Christians had trouble responding to because decades ago, the oldest Old Testament manuscript we had was the Masoretic text from which our Old Testament today derives. Now, the oldest Old Testament document we had of the Masoretic text was dated about 900 A.D. Therefore, a lot of skeptics were saying that some of these prophecies were actually inserted into the Old Testament text or retranslated or embellished to make it appear like these are the prophecies of the Messiah of Jesus Christ. And that's what I was taught in high school and throughout college. Well, one great discovery changed all that. It was the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. There were these caves along the Dead Sea, very famous discovery, and a man was looking for his lost goat, thought maybe ran into one of these caves, so he threw a rock in there and he heard something crack. Went inside and he discovered these jars of clay. Well, when he opened one up, he discovered that it was filled with these ancient scrolls, and there were numerous uh, jars there filled with scrolls. And when historians and archaeologists came and did research on the Dead Sea Scrolls, they looked at the style of writing, the type of pottery that it was found in, uh, the parchments, and what they discovered is that uh, there were fragments from every book of the Old Testament, some very extensive, like the famous uh, Isaiah scroll, which contained most of uh, Isaiah chapter 53 and others that had many prophecies, uh, messianic prophecies there. They dated these Old Testament texts to have been written between 200 and 100 B.C. And many of these Old Testament texts contain the prophecies of Christ, confirming that at least, 
at least one to two hundred years before Christ ever set foot upon the earth, these prophecies were already down. Wow. So the Dead Sea Scrolls did a lot to confirm the prophetic nature of the Messianic prophecies. They also played a key role in determining and confirming that our Old Testament has been accurately preserved. Because when we matched them up to our present-day Old Testament, the Mesoritic texts, in many of the chapters, they're found to be uh, 99% identical. And so the Dead Sea Scrolls was a great discovery. It taught us the doctrines and some of the beliefs of the Essene community, but it also taught us uh, that our Old Testament has been accurately preserved and that indeed these messianic prophecies were written and down before Christ ever set foot upon the earth. Well, that's good evidence for the preservation of the Old Testament. What about the New Testament text? Pat, speak to that a little bit. Has it been, have they been accurately preserved? Yeah, Kevin, that's a question you and I get all the time from Muslims and Mormons and other skeptics. Uh, once they see that the New Testament doesn't agree with their uh, theological position, they simply say, well, the New Testament has been corrupted. You know, well, the burden of proof is really on their foot because we have thousands of ancient manuscripts from which to compare. We have 5,000 ancient Greek manuscripts. We've got quotes from the church fathers who quote extensively large portions of every book of the New Testament. In fact, they quote all the verses of the New Testament except 11 verses. We've got translations. We've got fragments. Altogether, we've, there's about 24,000 ancient documents from which we can compare. And we can compare these now on computers side by side by side and see how accurate uh, we have preserved the New Testament. And if you see a lot of deviations between these fragments and documents and translations, you may be able to build a case that the New Testament has not been accurately preserved. But with all these documents and the ability we have to compare, we can be uh, pretty sure, as F.F. F. Bruce states in his book, uh, Are the New Testament Documents Reliable?, that uh, we can be sure of 95% of the New Testament has been accurately preserved. And the 5% in dispute have no, uh, do not affect any major theological doctrine. Uh, they have to do with grammar and some vocabulary and Spelling. sentence structure. Yeah, right. some say Christ Jesus and some say Jesus Christ. Right, but nothing major that affects doctrine. And there's no book like it uh, that has so much documentation to show it has been very accurately preserved. So we can be confident we have the teachings of Christ, we have the message and the life of Christ accurately recorded by first century eyewitnesses. Well, as you've heard, the Bible that you hold in your hands is reliable. It has not been corrupted. It has been transmitted down to us accurately and preserved. And apparently God has seen to it, hasn't he? We want you to get information like this. And we've got resources on evidenceandanswers.com that will equip you, that will equip your children, that will prepare that college student before he or she goes to college to be armed with this material. It'll also strengthen your faith as a believer and follow follower of Jesus Christ to just see how much evidence God has given us for the truth of his word. Evidence and Answers is a radio program that will equip you to know and defend your faith in Christ. 
Remember, 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to do this, to always give an answer to those who ask you about the hope that you have. Evidence and answers will also help skeptics and people of other faiths to hear clearly the truth about Jesus. And I want to tell you about a free offer from Pat Zucharin in just a moment. You know, Pat speaks all over the world, presenting and defending the claims of Jesus Christ to a non-believing world, from college campuses to youth events to church auditoriums, and he raises his own financial support to do so. And here's that free offer. Get a free copy of Pat's message on the Da Vinci Code when you go to evidenceandanswers.com. No obligation. It's yours for the asking at evidenceandanswers.com. At evidenceandanswers.com, you'll find Pat's articles, books, commentary on current events, and audio CDs on topics from atheism to Zen Buddhism. You'll also get information on Pat's often dangerous trips to China and Hungary to teach and equip young pastors in those countries. Once again, a free CD of Pat's message on the Da Vinci Code is yours for the asking when you go to evidenceandanswers.com. You know, we'd love to hear from you. Just a quick note to let us know you're listening means so much to us. Just go to evidenceandanswers.com and click on Contact Pat. This is Kevin Harris encouraging you to know what you believe and why you believe it. And thanks so much for listening. Be sure and spread the word about Evidence and Answers as Pat Zucharan examines some of the most compelling topics in the world. Future shows include Is Mormonism Christian? Why do Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus is not God? What about the existence of life on other planets and UFOs? What is the evidence for the existence of God? Is Islam really a religion of peace? And interviews with today's top scholars and philosophers on these topics. Go to evidenceandanswers.com right now and get resources on these topics and more. That's evidenceandanswers.com.